Hi, everyone. It's Ashley. Each week here on the deck, you hear raw interviews from family members and investigators who are looking for answers to cases that, for whatever reason, remain unsolved. But unsolved crimes are often unsolved for a reason. Time has cracked and curved around some of these cases for so long that getting answers has become complicated. Well, now, investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra is turning back the clock to look at an unsolved case from 1991. She's speaking to investigators, key witnesses, and loved ones who are still searching for answers on how exactly 27-year-old Douglas Wagg Jr. died. But here's the thing. While Delia's investigation for this season of Counterclock started as a look into one man's suspicious death, a string of crimes and other mysterious deaths point to so much more. Tune in each week for new episodes of Counterclock Season 6 wherever you listen to podcasts. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. Engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of the mystery, danger, and romance. Where will each new chapter take you? With hundreds of mind-teasing puzzles, the next clue is always within reach. You can also chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Love is more than a day on the calendar or a sign-off on a letter. Love starts with you. Show off your personal style with new Pandora jewelry pieces that radiate with your love from every angle. With Pandora's vast selection of rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and charms, there's endless ways to show what's in your heart. Write a love note to yourself or your best friend with handwritten charms or a personal engraving. Shop now at Pandora.net. Pandora. Be love. Our card this week is Darwin Vest, the King of Hearts from Idaho. On a summer night in 1999, Darwin, a quirky intellectual who was obsessed with studying spiders, decided to go out to the bars with some friends because he had just gotten some amazing news. But after his final nightcap, Darwin wandered out the side door of a bar and into a dark alley, triggering a mystery that no one in 23 years has been able to solve. I'm Ashley Flowers, and this is The Deck. It was late on Friday, June 4th, 1999, and Eric Seneff had just gotten back to his house in Idaho Falls, Idaho, when he saw a red light blinking, indicating a new message on his answering machine. Eric had been gone all day because he and his wife had went to Salt Lake City, Utah, to see The Phantom of the Opera on Broadway. And instead of staying overnight in the city, they drove the three hours back home to Idaho after the performance. 
They hadn't been expecting any calls that day, so even though it was late, Eric went ahead and played the message, which was from his friend Darwin's mom, Margaret Vest. She was frantic, and so you know, and she was hoping that Darwin was with us, you know, that because he'd oftentimes go with us on different uh, outings and things, you know. So I, I did call her back and said, "No, he was—he's not with us." Margaret told Eric that her 48-year-old son, Darwin, had not been home in nearly two days, and she was sick with worry. You see, Darwin still lived at home, so he saw his mother nearly every day. This whole time, she'd been holding out hope that Darwin had gone to Utah with Eric and had just forgotten to mention it to her. But Eric told Margaret that he hadn't seen Darwin since Wednesday night, when they had played trivia together at a local bar called the Frosty Gator. The Frosty Gator was their usual weekly meetup spot for trivia, and Eric said nothing weird happened. I don't know, it just seemed like an ordinary night. It was, you know, it wasn't that busy in there. I mean, there were probably 20, 30 people in there. You know, it was a Wednesday night. And uh, that night, uh, we had, you know, just a fun evening with uh, playing trivia. On the phone, Eric explained to Margaret that when he left the Frosty Gator Wednesday night at around 11.30, he'd offered Darwin a ride home because it was raining outside, but that Darwin had declined and said he was going to hang out a little while longer. From what he knew, Darwin had stayed behind for another round of drinks with their other friend, this guy named Lee Curtis, and that was that. Margaret told Eric that Darwin's car was home, which made her even more concerned because she was sure he hadn't gone far. And she knew his regular routine. Nothing local would keep him away from the house for days at a time. Before hanging up, Eric told Margaret he would call around and see if anyone had seen Darwin. And if not, he would start looking for him first thing the next day. The first person Eric tried to get in touch with was Lee Curtis, but he wasn't having any luck reaching him. And so... Immediately the next morning, I went looking. You know, I drove downtown. And, I mean, I was looking around the sort of back alleys. You know, I mean, I don't know. I didn't know what else to do. By 1999, Darwin and Eric had been best friends for almost a decade. So Eric knew this was out of character for his friend. Darwin was smart and independent, but also really social. He would never skip town without telling people. As Eric searched the streets, riverbanks, and back alleys of Idaho Falls, a pit grew in his stomach. His mind kept wandering to worst-case scenarios, and he would try to force them out of his head, convincing himself that Darwin would show up at home and explain where he'd been. Now, Eric knew Darwin had walked to the bar Wednesday night for trivia, leaving his car at his mom's house, but that wasn't unusual for him. Eric told our reporting team during an interview that Darwin preferred to walk everywhere. I mean, I was always kind of concerned that, you know, Darwin would walk around. I mean, it's, it's a safe town, but, you know, still, you know, that late at night, you know, you never know. Uh, he would insist on, on walking. Of course, he'd been doing this for years. But on trivia night, it had been storming. And Eric remembered being concerned for his friend walking home in the rain after declining his offer for a ride. They had been drinking during trivia. They weren't, like, downing shots or anything, but they were sharing pitchers of beer. So when Eric left, Darwin was definitely buzzed. But he wasn't too drunk to walk or anything like that. Eric was coming up with nothing in his search for Darwin. The panic really settled in when Eric went to Margaret's house and saw what Darwin had left in his car. He always kept his uh, snakes in his trunk of his car. You know, he wouldn't have left without doing something with them, you know, and, and we knew that uh, immediately that, you know, there was something terribly wrong. Yeah, no need to rewind. You heard the man. He kept those mother snakes in his mother trunk. 
which was a total what the f- moment for me when I heard it. But Darwin was a scientist, and it was explained to us that he studied snakes and spiders. So it actually was totally normal for him to have creepy critters in cages in his bedroom and in his car. People around town even called him the Spider Man. He just loved to talking about all his toxinology, you know, his experiences with uh, snakes scorpions and you know other uh, poisonous critters you know <laughs> people are always were always fascinated with him margaret couldn't shake the feeling that something was wrong so she decided to go ahead and report darwin missing to the idaho falls police department when our team was in idaho doing the reporting for this episode they met with ifpd captain jeremy galbraith and public information officer jessica clements to discuss darwin's case They said Margaret Vest showed up in person to report her son missing. She was very concerned because this was so, so far out of Darwin's usual behavior. Darwin's routine was that he would go home. Uh, They lived together and they had a pretty, pretty solid relationship. So this was just way out of character. She knew that Darwin was leaving that night to go to trivia with Eric, um, and she referenced that. She made a comment, uh, we've got a note in here, that she talked about uh, Darwin knew that she worried, so he would come home and actually wake her up and say, Mom, I'm home. Um, And that didn't happen. Captain Galbraith oversees investigations for Idaho Falls PD today. But back in 1999, he was a brand new patrol officer. At the time, I didn't think much of it. He was... uh... I didn't know Darwin Best uh, better than anybody else, but uh, I just figured he was around somewhere and uh, he'd show back up. Darwin was never in trouble with the law, so officers had no reason to think he'd gotten mixed up with the wrong crowd or would be targeted by anyone in that way. So the beginning of the investigation into his whereabouts focused on interviews. Bartenders, uh, patrons inside the bar good, close friends, family, that sort of thing. It, had, it jumped almost immediately to, de- to the detective division from patrol. Detectives immediately started getting statements from people while also trying to retrace Darwin's steps on the route that he most likely would have walked from his house to the Frosty Gator. Through interviews with Darwin's sister, Rebecca, and his business manager, detectives learned that the day Darwin went missing, before he went out to the bar, he had just gotten news that he'd been awarded a contract for a spider trap that he invented. He designed these traps, and they were there was different companies that were bringing them on board to sell, and he'd signed a contract with Anderson Lumber, and they were going to carry them in his stores, and it was... I wanted to say it was a $6,000 contract that he was he was going to receive $6,000 of profit, which was awesome. And then there was another um, potential contract in the works with Fred Meyer and a couple other things that they, they had working. But it was the Anderson contract that was signed that day, according to the business manager. Darwin had been working on this trap for a long time, so it was a big deal that he'd struck a lucrative deal to sell them. They were a trap for the hobo spider, a variant of the brown recluse spider that's prone to getting in people's houses. Darwin was a national expert on the hobo spider, and he was so excited about the contract that he shared the news with his sister via a fax message that he sent around 3.30 p.m. on June 2nd. According to Darwin's mom, he was ecstatic about the deal. And while going out to trivia was part of his weekly routine, that night was also a celebration of sorts. 
Bartenders who'd been working that night told police Darwin was his normal self at the Frosty Gator. He'd been wearing his usual outfit, Levi's, a black leather jacket, a belt with a buckle that had a snake design, and a watch that had a spiderweb design on its face. Everyone they'd talked to so far made it seem like it was a normal night for Darwin. But there was one person they hadn't talked to yet, and he could be their most important witness. And that was Lee Curtis, the other man Eric and Darwin had been with at the Frosty Gator. But again, Lee was kind of hard to get in touch with. Pretty soon, officers found out that Lee had actually gone home to his permanent residence in Utah. Turns out he was just in Idaho Falls visiting his dad. Finding out that Lee left town soon after Darwin went missing made Eric suspicious. He was an interesting character too, but uh, I didn't know him real well, but uh, Darwin always kind of seemed, you know, leery of Lee, I don't know. Darwin never would speak uh, negatively about anybody, you know, but I had the impression that, you know, I don't know, I just kind of had a feeling that, you know, somehow Darwin and him had some sort of uh, issue or something. Police did eventually get in touch with Lee, who said that he wasn't avoiding police, but he had a military assignment that he had to get back for. Lee agreed to be interviewed and said that that night when he was out with Darwin, after Eric left, he and Darwin had one more round of drinks and then walked a few blocks to another bar called the Golden Crown for a nightcap. It would have been around 1 a.m. on June 3rd by this point because the bar was about to have last call. But Lee said they each ordered a beer there, and he said that he actually ordered a coffee for Darwin, too, so he could sober up a little before his walk home. But Darwin had rejected the coffee. According to Lee's statement in police reports, Lee went to the ATM to get some cash in order to take a cab home. And he says when he came back, Darwin was just gone. Detectives interviewed a bartender at the Golden Crown who filled in some of the gaps in Lee's story. You see, he said that before Lee went to the ATM, Darwin had gotten up to use the restroom. So when he came back and didn't see Lee, Darwin walked towards the exit. The bartender said that when Lee came back, he asked where Darwin had gone. And the bartender told him it looked like he'd gone home. So Lee said he got a taxi and went to his dad's house. So Lee left in a cab. Is that confirmed? Yes. Yep. We interviewed the uh, cab driver and there was another female in the cab as well. According to police, Lee was also seen arriving home by roommates who were still awake when he got there. But there was one major discrepancy with Lee's alibi. According to Idaho Falls Police, when officers went to the taxi companies to confirm Lee's ride home, there was no log of it. I'm not sure if it's still like this today, since we have all these rideshare apps. But back then, if you hailed a cab, the driver was supposed to make a log of the ride, basically the time, the destination, and cost, because the cab company took a percentage of the fare. So obviously not being able to corroborate this made police pause, because either Lee was lying or the cab driver was. So they re-interviewed the cab driver, who finally admitted that he didn't log the ride because he wanted to keep all the money from the fare. Despite that discrepancy and Lee having been the last known person to see Darwin, he was pretty much cleared of any wrongdoing. Aside from having an alibi, detectives couldn't find any motive for why Lee would have wanted to do something to Darwin. But some people, like Eric, remain suspicious of Lee, still to this day. By June 6th, four days since Darwin disappeared, police were starting to wonder if something sinister had happened to Darwin because there was still no sign of him. So they decided to put out a press bulletin for the news stations to share his photo and clothing description on TV. 
They also entered his information into NCIC, the National Crime Information Center, in case he turned up somewhere else. And that's when police realized that a strange call had been made to 911 back on June 3rd. And they started to wonder if it could have been about Darwin. Busy parents have enough on their plates without adding your children's homework to the list as well. IXL is an excellent resource for homework help, which is especially nice for parents who are rusty on school info themselves. And methods have changed over the years, too. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. It's designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. And you get one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. There's a reason why IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. From studies done in almost every state in the country, the kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. If your child is struggling, this is the smartest investment you can make. A month of IXL costs less than an hour of tutoring, so now you could get your child the help they need at an affordable price. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And the DECK listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash DECK. Visit IXL.com slash DECK to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. I can remember sitting in my high school Spanish class, looking down at the ground, just hoping, desperately hoping, I wouldn't get called on. Because languages have never come easy for me. And even after all those years of studying in school, I felt so insecure. Then as my husband and I started exploring international travel recently, he convinced me that it was time to give language another try. So naturally, we found Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop or can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone offers 25 languages and they have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing your words. As my family continues to explore future travel, I know I'm going to take advantage of that because I want to feel as confident and respectful as possible. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Deck listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash deck. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash deck today. On Thursday afternoon, June 3rd, a local woman named Dolores called police and said she'd been driving across a bridge just south of Idaho Falls when she saw someone in the Snake River. She said she saw a body floating floating face down uh, through the river. The uh, Bingham County Sheriff's Office went out there and they found a 55-gallon drum, but no body. Uh, they recontacted her and she was adamant it was not a 55-gallon drum. I saw a body. Where Dolores reportedly saw the body was near the Shelley Bridge, which is just downstream from Idaho Falls. But the thing is, when Dolores made that phone call, Darwin had not been reported missing yet. So when there wasn't a body recovered, police didn't think much of Dolores's report. The Snake River runs right through downtown Idaho Falls. Captain Galbraith took our reporting team to the riverbank. So you can actually see photos of the area on our website, thedeckpodcast.com, and on our Instagram, which I'll link to in the show notes. 
There's a walkway downtown that hugs the riverbank and a steep grass hill on either side without any safety railings. And the water is within just a few blocks of the Frosty Gator and the Golden Crown, which, by the way, both bars are still open today, so we also have photos of where Darwin spent his last night. But long story short, the sheriff's office went out in boats to retrieve the drum from the water, and they still didn't see a body. But at some point after days of Darwin not showing up, they started to wonder if what Dolores saw could have been him. They even followed up with her, and she was just as certain as the day she reported it. What she'd seen was a body, a man's body with dark hair and a plaid shirt. Now, Darwin did have brown hair, but he had not been wearing a plaid shirt the night he vanished. But here's the thing. If that was Darwin, Eric said there's zero chance he fell into the water. Darwin wouldn't have wouldn't have fallen into the river. <laughs> I, I can tell you that. I mean, he was around that river his, his entire you know, life, you know. But Eric can't say for sure that someone didn't hurt Darwin and dispose of him in the river or push him in on purpose. And he felt suspicious of one person in particular. And it was a name that police had heard too. After the news reports, police had gotten some tips, and one of them was about how Darwin had been the victim of a brutal assault several years prior. Darwin Vest had been the victim of a robbery a couple years before. He had been out drinking that night, was uh, robbed and thrown in a dumpster. Captain Galbraith asked us to censor the man's name, so we'll call him Dane. According to Eric, back in 1996, Dane and some other guys had been driving around and saw Darwin walking home. They tried to take Darwin's money, but Darwin stood up for himself. So they beat him unconscious and stole his money before throwing him in a dumpster. Darwin was seriously hurt and ended up pressing charges, and Dane was convicted and went to prison for the robbery and assault. So that was one of the theories was that had uh, had come after Darwin again. By 1999, Dane had long been out of jail, so detectives set out to find out where he'd been on June 2nd and 3rd. Turns out, Dane was living at the Idaho Falls Community Work Center. So he was in town, but the work center was like a halfway house. He wasn't technically locked up, so he could leave during the day for work, but he had to return at night and there were bed check logs that confirmed Dane had been at the work center late on June 2nd. It was a structured thing. Um, windows were, were locked and, and bolted shut, the front door alarm, there were regular bed checks. Um, and he was accounted for all night. There was no sign he'd left his room, no sign that the, temp, the window had been tampered with. Jessica pulled the reports for us that detailed Dane's alibi, which were those bed check logs from the work center. And she said that Dane was accounted for in bed on June 2nd at 9.45 p.m., then 2.15 a.m. and 4.15 a.m. So if Darwin was last seen leaving the Golden Crown at 1 a.m. and Dane was accounted for in bed at 2.15 a.m., it left a pretty small window for the two to have crossed paths, even if Dane had successfully snuck out of the center in the middle of the night. Detectives had to move on. And when they did, they explored the theory that someone could have targeted Darwin if they found out that he had just landed a lucrative deal with his spider trap kits. The issue with that theory, though, is Darwin hadn't actually gotten his payout yet, so it didn't make much sense. It's not like he was walking around town with the six grand on him. 
As tips stopped coming in, police dug more into Darwin's background. They learned that he'd gone off to college and lived in Washington for about a decade before returning to Idaho Falls to be close to his family and focus on his spider work, which wasn't just a hobby. Darwin was an expert on spiders, snakes, and poisonous plants. And he was often called upon to testify in court about spider and scorpion bites. According to reporting in the Lewiston Tribune, Darwin worked at a local movie theater to make income. In all his spare time, he'd be out looking for spider webs or out in the forest or desert looking for snakes or scorpions. Here's Eric Seneff again. Every year he would set up a booth at the uh, Idaho State Fair, you know, and you'd always tell where his booth was because there'd be a huge crowd of people there. He'd, he'd have, you know, specimens, he'd have scorpions, and of course he was always very, you know, he was always trying to inform people about the hobo spider and the uh, dangers of, you know, being bitten by them, you know, because a lot of people didn't know that much about the hobo spider. It was a introduced species and it was uh, relatively new to the area. He was an amazing man, he really was, and he was extremely knowledgeable. You know, we, we would go on field trips and we'd go out in the desert and we'd turn over like a piece of plywood and then there'd, you know, there'd be like a scorpion in there or a centipede and, and he would rattle off the uh, Latin names for these. <laughs> he, he knew a lot of Latin and he would, uh, so he was a fascinating guy to be around. He was really, a, you know, just a very rare individual, uh, very much a, a one of a, you know, one of a kind. The more police learned about Darwin, the less they could find that would make him the target of a violent crime. Everyone said he was amazing. Wonderfully weird was a term people liked to use to describe him. Darwin's case went nowhere for the rest of the year. And in June 2000, the one-year anniversary of his disappearance, his friends and family held a candlelight vigil. The lack of new leads made police consider that maybe Darwin just drank too much and accidentally fell into the river. A detective tracked down what the water levels were the night Darwin vanished, and it was swollen, nearly at flood stage. And that matters because when the Snake River is that high near Idaho Falls, grates are removed in order to avoid flooding. In the past, people had fallen in the river and tragically wound up in those grates. But they wouldn't have been in place the night that Darwin went missing. The Snake River ends up dumping out into the Columbia, which ends up dumping out into the Pacific Ocean. It, I mean, the uh, Snake River goes along south, southeast Idaho over to Boise and then crosses into Oregon and Washington via the Columbia. With the water level being that high, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to tell exactly where that could have gone. If, that's, if that theory is correct, where, where he would have ended up is, is hard to say. In 2001, a detective re-interviewed Dolores about what she saw floating in the river. Even two years later, she was adamant that what she saw was a body with dark matted hair wearing a plaid shirt. But police weren't able to make any determinations from her fresh statement, and Darwin's body hadn't turned up downstream. So Darwin's case went cold, and barely any new information came in over the next few years. In 2004, Darwin was declared legally dead, with his date of death listed as June 2, 1999. By then, his family had lost most hope that he was still alive. But that didn't make it any easier. They still missed him, and they still wanted to know what happened. In 2005, through family members' swabs, Darwin's DNA was put into CODIS, just in case his body ever turned up somewhere. A big feature ran in the Times News in July 2006. The headline read, 
Idaho's Spider-Man still missing seven years after last seen. In that story, police called Darwin's case inactive. A lieutenant was quoted saying, until they have reason to believe otherwise, they lean toward the theory that he fell in the river. Two more years went by without much talk of Darwin. But then, out of nowhere in 2008, police got a strange letter from an inmate who said that Darwin had been killed. And he not only knew who did it, but he knew why, too. It's almost summer, and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on TheRealReal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000-plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code DECK at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. When it comes to your health, there should be no compromises. Don't go back to that doctor who doesn't fully listen to you or rushes through your appointment. Instead, check out ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Search by location, availability, and insurance. No compromises. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. And you don't have to wait forever to get in with someone good. When I looked online, the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score some same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com deck and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash deck. ZocDoc deck. Detectives immediately packed up and drove the four hours from Idaho Falls to Boise, Idaho, where the state prison is to interview the inmate. And he told police another prisoner he knew named Todd Briggs claimed that Darwin once grabbed his genitals and Todd was offended by it and wanted Darwin dead. So detectives interviewed this Todd Briggs guy who was incarcerated at the same prison. And here's the thing. Todd didn't exactly have an alibi. Did Briggs offer up um, his whereabouts for June 99? I don't know about June 99 exactly, but he, re- he, he lived in the area, right? And he'd, he'd mentioned Darwin. Um, he said that he, he met Darwin one time in a bar. It was, you know, Darwin was, was a fixture. People knew Darwin. So he, he said, yeah, I knew Darwin, but I, I spoke with him for 10 minutes one time, and that was the only time we ever talked. It was end of 97, somewhere in 98. Um, and other people that knew Briggs and knew them at the time kind of, you know, confirmed that, that. Yeah, I remember him mentioning this, or I remember being around that conversation, but no, they didn't hang out together. No, they didn't spend time together. So Todd basically said the other informant was full of BS and just wanted time shaved off his sentence, and he was lying in order to do it. Todd denied ever hurting Darwin and said he knew nothing about what happened to him. 
Then Todd kind of pointed the finger back at the other inmate, saying, oh, well, that guy talked about Darwin all the time. Maybe you should see why he's so obsessed with the case. By the way, while Todd Briggs wasn't exactly ruled out in Darwin's case, he's never been considered a suspect. But according to court records, he is in prison for first-degree murder, two counts of aggravated battery, attempted escape, and aggravated assault. And get this, the murder happened in Idaho Falls. According to a 2002 Time News article, Todd Briggs was convicted in the murder of Melissa Garcia, a 25-year-old mother of four. That article says that he killed Melissa after she broke off their engagement. He's actually eligible for parole in 2035. The other inmate, who was the original letter-writing informant, is in prison for attempted strangulation, escape, aggravated assault, and attempted murder. But police said his statements were all over the place and didn't really make any sense. Plus, his crimes took place much further north in Idaho. And he didn't have any real ties to Idaho Falls, so they moved on. Coincidentally, later that same year, this is 2008, Dane's name came back up on police's radar. A woman told police that one of Dane's relatives had one of Darwin's rings. And that one time, the man had gotten drunk and said that he and Dane killed Darwin. Police put both Dane and his relative through polygraph tests, and they both passed. But then around the same exact time, Eric had someone contact him, saying something similar about Dane. I also had some gal in my store. Uh, it was This has been, you know, quite a few years later. And she told me that uh, uh, she had been talking to... And I heard somebody, somebody knew, but uh, that she had heard uh, from firsthand, you know, that uh, friends of it had uh, kidnapped Darwin, killed him, and, and buried him out by Kep's Crossing, you know. And of course, I reported this to the police, and they said, oh, no, she's, she's not credible. So, I mean, there was all, you know, there was all kinds of speculations. Eric was familiar with the area she mentioned, Kep's Crossing which is just southeast of Idaho Falls, way out in the sticks. So he decided to go look for Darwin's body himself. I actually went and drove out to Kep's Crossing and kind of just looked around. I don't know, of course, this was, like, this was, been a, was a decade later, you know, but I actually did drive out there and just kind of, you know, poke, poke around. Did you see anything suspicious? No, no. I mean, I don't know, there's, it's kind of, a, you know, sort of a wide open area there, you know, there's a, a creek and... I don't know, I just was looking around. I don't know, and of course, I don't, you know, I'm not likely to see any bones or anything, but I mean, there's deer bones and cow bones, and, uh, but uh, I didn't see anything that uh, seemed, you know, uh, relevant. Speculations quieted down after that, and a few more years went by without any real developments, except for one wild rumor that Darwin had packed up and moved to Mexico, but there was nothing to back that up. In summer 2011, Idaho Falls police got another letter about Darwin, this time from a different inmate claiming to have information. But Jessica and Captain Galbraith said detectives tried to set up an interview with the inmate, and he never responded after that. They aren't sure if he changed his mind about giving a statement, but all efforts to talk to him since have been unsuccessful. At the end of 2017, a new police chief in Idaho Falls assigned Darwin's case to a new detective, Rome Stifler, and he wanted him to give it a fresh look. Detective Stifler re-interviewed Dane and other people who'd been possible witnesses. 
One interesting thing Detective Stifler discovered was that on June 3, 1999, an inmate at the work center where Dane was living actually had escaped the facility and wasn't found until a year later. But as far as we know, nothing ever came of that really in relation to Darwin's case. So I'm not sure if police couldn't track him down for an interview or, again, if he just didn't have any ties to Darwin or what. But either way, it proved to police that it was in fact possible to escape from the so-called secure facility where Dane had been staying. But it still didn't prove anything about Dane specifically. There have been some theories in other media that Dane and Lee Curtis and the other escaped inmate worked together to set Darwin up for some reason. But police said that they have no information whatsoever to back up that rumor. Police truly have no idea what happened to Darwin. And they'll admit that they're not really any closer to solving the case today as they were decades ago. But they have worked to rule out a lot of different theories, which sometimes, until the right person comes forward, is all they can do. These missing person cases are especially difficult because, you know, if you have a, a homicide cold case, you have a crime scene, you know that they met, you know, a tragic end, a criminal end, right? Some kind of nefarious ending that is, is heartbreaking, but there's answers there. You have something to go back to to try and connect something to. And there's, there's answers in a crime scene, right? Um, as technology develops, there's something more you can do. With a missing person, you know, it, it is entirely possible that, that nothing nefarious happened, that it was a tragic accident. But that doesn't give you real closure, doesn't give you answers. And that's, so you can't just say, well, it's, it's likely, so we'll sign off on that. You have to entertain every possibility. And when you, when you get tips that maybe something nefarious happened, you have to look into that. Family wants answers, I wants answers, like anyone would. If it was my brother, if it was my son, my dad, I would want answers as well. And we, as a police department, owe it to these families to, you know, keep it open and follow up on everything we can. It's one of those tough ones, especially where, you know, 1951 was when Darwin was born. So you think about people in that time frame. I mean, we're starting to lose people that were his peers. Um, his mother's passed. It, it's getting tougher and tougher to find people who are around at that time who may have remembered Darwin, who may have seen him. We sure hope that there's answers in this lifetime. Eric lost hope years ago of ever seeing Darwin again. It was a big loss. Uh, he was such a, you know, exceptional uh, and, you know, one of a kind person. I mean, nobody would ever would be like him again, you know, so he, he was, it was, it was a, a great loss, you know, I think his devotion to his research and his love of people and, and you know, just, you know, he touched a lot of lives. If you know anything about the June 1999 disappearance of Darwin Vest, a.k.a. Spider-Man, from Idaho Falls, Idaho, please contact the Idaho Falls Police Department at 208-529-1200. Or you can call the Idaho Cold Case Tip Line at 1-844-TIP-4040. We have pictures of what he looked like on our website, plus photos of his unique belt buckle and watch face on our website as well. The Deck is an Audio Chuck production with theme music by Ryan Lewis. To learn more about The Deck and our advocacy work, visit thedeckpodcast.com. So, what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? <laughs>